Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 390, and today we'll be talking about Hootie's Moving Hassle from the Owl House. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So, just a random thought here, but I think Tom is one of my favorite one-episode wonders in this show. Uh, he has had one dream, you know, since he was a child, which was to push other children off cliffs. And, you know, that dream almost makes sense from a child's perspective. And um, it didn't evolve in any way as he grew into an adult. And uh, he was the only character really vindicated, you know, in this episode because uh, he was right. Those kids were trouble after all. <laughs> I mean, I would have figured he would have tried to savor the moment, but no, all he cares about is the pushing. What happens after the pushing is not a concern to him. <laughs> I was absolutely convinced that they all had died underneath Hootie's foot as well. So good on them that they did survive that because for a moment there, I thought, oh, okay, they are going to go that dark. I was like, oh, Luce didn't have that much of a reaction to murdering five or six people. Just now. <laughs> but, you know, they're fine. They're all fine. She did cost them their jobs, so she might have left them all one-star review online. That might have been what did it. The relevance of monster hunting is in non-existent in later episodes. This is very much a one-off yeah. thing. Animal control, much more important job for them. Yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe this was the end of any, you know, hope of serious monster hunting, right? Because a giant... The house can just trample you anytime. You would figure the beast taming coven would have everything under control, but maybe they're their primary customers. <laughs> you know, get that, get the big exotic beast to tame. Right. I uh, I liked that the primary control device was, of course, a witch with electrical power. There's just something so obvious about that. You know, I'm sure if the Fire Nation had had Appa for a while, they might have used a similar technique. I don't know. I had some. Appa's Lost Days vibes with that poor monster that was being, you know, controlled. It seemed fine and not mm. dangerous, even though it looked horrific. I'm sure Appa would look horrific to some people. Yeah, big, scary, out of control, very affectionate. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes right with the scary when you're that big, so. Jedred <laughs> Tom. Very sarcastic comeback. I don't know why he was bragging about barely fighting them off in the first place, but, <laughs> you know, you do you, Tom. You do you. <laughs> this man's out here living the dream. He doesn't care about any of y'all. Oh, man. Speaking of the dream, the dream of capitalism is well alive at the night market. Ah, yes, yes. My scam stand. <laughs> I, uh, the little pig was great. And I loved his commentary on capitalism, where everyone wins except you. But I was confused why Ida was afraid, seemingly, of the night market, or at least thrown off, not immediately enjoying, you know, entertaining the idea of going, except for the part about pickpocketing, which she seemed temporarily, you know, happy to think about. Yeah, the the night market is a like a recurring, ooh, watch out, it's the night market on this show but Ida seems like the kind of person who'd be like oh yeah the night market i get all my stuff there i mean we she gets her ice cream there in the second season so <laughs> i don't know why she would be hesitant yeah i'm surprised she even buys the elixir during the day and i don't know there's nothing particularly scary going on at the night market i did enjoy i i think you know creepiest or creepiest design at least of the episode was the creature with no eyes that had the other you know smaller yep. one 
Which I like that Ida was potentially talking to the eye socket dweller the whole time, only for that little dude to be eaten. Very sad. Yeah. I mean, he he, he really put himself out there for her, and she just let him down. <laughs> so that's at least one on-screen death this episode. Uh, I mean, he might have just relocated him. You don't know. Right, it just pops out the other eye hole, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we did see a dude who eats his own eyes, and they, they pop right back into place, so... <laughs> Anything is possible on the Boiling Isles, baby. Yeah. Including Pentagram, because of course a social <laughs> media platform could still exist in this world. Hashtag humans can bite it. Oh my god. It's like, I hate that though. I just hate there being a social media platform at all. I hope that it was a thing that Disney said, oh yeah, if you're making a kid's show for us, by the way, it has to include like, references that the kids will enjoy you know now the pun of it is hilarious i mean pentagram <laughs> is genius that's genius yeah, yeah but the concept is so dorky and like the fact that it's technically what's driving the entire plot of this episode is kind of silly like i had completely forgotten about it until the end where of course the mean girls bring it back up again i did like how completely dead they looked you know using it while amity's just <laughs> off in the corner you know staring out a window but uh, uh, it's just, I mean, it wasn't really like clunkily done in the show. It's just a thing I hate in general. It's just like a hello, fellow kids. We know. And it doesn't make sense for their world. It's more clunkily done in the world building of the show. Like the whole, haha, they, they watch TV on crystal balls because that's a magical accessory. And of course, they have uh, the internet here, but they don't call it that. It's like, eh, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to fit. It's more like a joke rather than a part of the world. Yeah, except that now it is an official part and it, you know, brings up questions like, okay, so they have like instant communication abilities between, you know, like space time. And yet our villains don't really seem to take advantage of it. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the bird phones really confuse me. It's like, cause the bird phone always flies away when they're done talking to you but is that is that like instead of calling the bird phone that you're carrying they have to send you a bird phone to talk to them through is that how it works i'm assuming but we don't know is there a software and like design team for penstagram <laughs> how do they code the interface you know these are the questions that shouldn't be asked but i need to know it's fine uh, it's okay i'm not gonna think about it yeah, don't think about it too much, David. I don't think you're meant to. Yeah. So, um, I guess I guess it's time for the big question of the episode. Who's the who's the powerful person who caused them to animate Hootie rather than Beefy Bob? Right. I mean, there's an obvious choice, and then there's Luz. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the easy answer should be Willow, because we know what an incredibly powerful witch she is. But Luz is the protagonist, and you know. You know, Ida's like, oh, it takes a lot of magic to to animate a whole house like that. And it's like zooming in on Luz and Willow. And if you like zoom in on that picture even more, you get to the Luz stays in the picture longer than Willow does. It's, she's obviously closer to center, but she's not at the center. The pilot gave us this idea that the show was aware of Chosen One narratives and they explicitly wanted to avoid that. Now, you don't have to be the chosen one to also coincidentally be very powerful, but it would just feel against the spirit of the show for Luz to just be like, 
super powerful in the end, right? Like more so than all our friends. So it's it's a little strange, but maybe it's one of those, you know, twists, right? Because why not? Now, the the way they could do it without evoking the Chosen One narrative too much would be because they've set up kind of like wishes have lost their way almost. Like for the past 50 years, they've been locked into the coven system and had most of their magic siphoned away by that. But even before then, they've become reliant on their bile sacks to do magic because it's much more convenient than having to write down your glyph on a piece of paper mm. and then activate it. But the, they used to use glyphs to do their wild magic before they developed their bile sacks. Right. So. so loses like the connection to free spirit magic. If there was, if there was perhaps a latent magic that allowed them, even before they used the glyphs, even before they used the glyphs to harness that, um, that could be what's inside loose, uncorrupted by mm-hmm. all this degradation. That that would be an interesting storyline for them to develop if uh, if that's what they want to do. Right. Then it's not loose, at least specifically just being born. I'm not 100% that that's where they're going to go, but it is an option. Right. Well, I mean, I think they're a release of of wild magic or, you know, Luz being able to, like, truly connect with it in a, in a more powerful way than just drawing the symbols. That seems like a, maybe not obvious direction, but a pretty handy mm. direction because it just gives you a conclusion to... You know, thinking about, you know, don't you want to see once you hear that magic's been restricted, it's like, don't you want to see what it looks like unrestricted? You know, like, what did it look like for the witches of old? But it sounds like you're already developing another theory. What do you got? Yeah. Okay. so I'm thinking like they're the whole point of the conjuring is to channel the magic of the moon into an object. Now, Luz has if Luz has no magic of her own, that makes it super easy for her to conduct that magic one would think. And that would again fit with the whole, like, while we don't control the magic, we direct the magic that, um, that feels like it would be right for the Savage Ages, you know? Channeling, being a channel. Uh, you know, kind kind of more of a Jedi thing. Mm. While, while Bellos and his coven system are more about control, the, you know, wild witches would have more respect for magic itself. I mean, just... We'll get there. Uh, we'll get there soon enough. But when Ida is teaching Luz about magic, she she is like deep about we we need to have a, a broad respect for magic here. It's not just we're, we're not goal oriented. There's a whole understanding yeah. we have to come to. Yeah, that's kind of cool to think of magic as a thing with its own will that you participate in but don't fully direct. That's a deep. That's a that's a deep philosophy <laughs> to apply <laughs> for this show to do i mean the the magic does all stem from the titan or, or so their history books say so yeah you know you could have the demiurge living out there well that yeah is it a benevolent one <laughs> I, I, I don't know that would be interesting uh... like they just have a benevolent ancient god i don't know possibly benevolent possibly incredibly malevolent you never know yeah I mean, based on how the Boiling Isles look, some, I'm going to say leaning towards malevolent. <laughs> Tornadoes! Well, you see the types of horrible things that happen. Poor Hootie was trying to tell, uh, you know, <laughs> listen, friends, about the horrible thing that just happened to him. But 
I love the way that they uh, framed it where he's just like, hey guys, one time a sparrow fell into my mouth. Beat. Blah. <laughs> Knowing Hootie, I don't think that was considered a horrifying experience. I think that was the highlight of his day. <laughs> well, I mean, until friends came over. Then that was even more exciting. Oh my gosh. He's such a big boy house, isn't he? Yeah. He can handle a sparrow. Yes. He does not need a babysitter. <laughs> I mean, he handled a malevolent uh, plush uprising, uh, yeah. eventually, so. So did he always have legs? The moon didn't give him legs, right? There's just latent legs? I was wondering about the legs. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it's You're like, I don't know what the moon would have done to the action figure, but it seemed like it just animates things, so... I wonder, you know, did he have legs that were unable to be animated? Does animate also just mean control? Does he just have big beefy legs? Also, that's weird because when Hootie gets disconnected from the house in later episodes, the he's just a he's little just thing. the worm. Yeah, not that he couldn't grow separate appendages. We have the whole living room, which is breathing. I mean, I thought he literally was the house, but the demon hunter talks about ripping the house demon out. So. The house isn't just his body. He's mostly like, he's like a thing that can kind of independently exist outside of a house, but maybe not for super long. Porta Hootie reporting for duty! Yeah, well, and technically when he gets ported around, it isn't a, like a little house carrier. So maybe there's something yeah, to the whole yeah. house thing. Yeah. Just different shells of different sizes. I, I want them to elaborate on so much more in the show. House demons among them. <laughs> yep. Good thing that there's still so many seasons ahead, right? Right, GC? Oh, yeah, right? so much. So, so much. Oh. <sighs> so sad. So sad. Why do, why do all the good shows that good shows have to end? Well, it's because this demonstrates terrible, terrible things for children not to do. Like, I love that our protagonist here is straight up just a responsible kid. And her friends are, like almost non-regretfully lead her down such the obviously wrong path. Like, Luz is so focused on the moon and trying to, you know, respect Ida and maintain that trust. And Gus is such a poor, sweet, and terrible influence <laughs> to be like, no, we can, we can do anything right now. We, we got the moon on our side. <laughs> Once he gets the taste for pranking people, he will not let up. Yeah, like, that's hilarious. I, I did think it was very funny. How it seems pretty clear that they know that Ida totally did not authorize this at all. Because at no point do they say, Luz, you said we could come over. It's it's like, no, we're going to hide in these illusory bushes yeah. here until Ida's gone. Then we're going to come inside because we're not dum-dums. Yeah, it's hilarious. They don't seem like rule breakers, but they are very down for this. Did you see <laughs> how big and bright Moonlight Conjuring was on Gus's bucket list? Yep. <laughs> Gus's bucket list was amazing. He's got some interesting stuff on there. Now, other than that permit, which I don't know. Um, I don't know anything about that permit, but I, I want to know about the, the tunnel he's digging under Hexite. Is that a, is that a possible plot point? Maybe we could <sighs> run an eight minute YouTube video about uh, <laughs> that possibly coming up in a later episode. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound like a crack theory I would come up with, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not being supportive at all. <laughs> eh, what you gonna do? Oh, well. Let's see here, he wants to lose his baby fangs, that's cute. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> he wants to jump out of a hollow cake. <laughs> Going off of memory here. Oh man. Gus is Gus is a wild one. Yeah, they're they're terrible. So this is why Disney had to, you know, not continue to order many more seasons. Outside of the whole witchcraft is still a controversial thing to show children in twenty twenty two and people still got mad about it when this show started up. So, you know. Stuff happens. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe they were just mad about dictators being presented as a bad thing. <laughs> you never know. Roasted. Keeping it relevant. <laughs> uh, always relevant, David. Sadly enough. Sadly enough. Oh, God. I feel like we can't end without touching on Tibbles. He's a funny character. I like the very obvious con he plays on Ida, who's just... Maybe I can give her a pass for being so easily fooled because, you know, she's like slowly transforming into a monster. But, oh, come on. It's so obvious. <laughs> I I liked the, come on, you're playing right now. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, it's, it's exactly like the, in Penguins of Madagascar, where the penguins get hustled in a game of hockey. It's like they think, oh, well, what's this What's this little hitty sticky thing called? It's like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you on. And then, do you guys need to set, to set you up with some equipment? Ah, uh, no thanks, we, bought, we brought our own gear. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh no. Well, in this case, he also had, like, a, apparently a Trump card, some, like, trickster card that also is alive, because apparently that's a thing that cards can be in this game. I mean, they're all alive. It's, it's exactly what Ida did to... Albert, when she was teaching Luz about Hexus Hold'em, you gotta watch out for the wild card. And then he does the he does the same gimmick to to her. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't even using any unique strategies. He's just better. I I wonder. I've always wondered, ever since the first time I watched this episode, if Tibbles was responsible for Morton running out of the elixir. Yeah, because he seemed to plan this. Well, and it's like. I like that little relationship. I know it doesn't exist after this episode, really. But the fact that Ida just has some random person, in this case, you know, the shopkeeper selling her elixirs, you know, kind of invested in her life. Like, he's very aware that she needs them and kind of seems to understand why. I thought that was kind of, like, cute and he's, you know, just very meek. But, uh, bro, what are you doing? Like, you you know Ida. You know she's not going to keep on top of <laughs> when she yeah. gets elixir. She's going to get distracted. Just keep a little bit in the back, you know? Who else is buying this stuff anyway? Is it just a generalized elixir? Or is it, you know, <sighs> only for people with specific curses? I don't know. I, I It must be generalized, because if it was specific to Ida, I mean, then what would it, Tibbles... Tibbles would have never had any in stock at all if it were uh, made to order. So it, it must be generalized. The night market, I think that would have been perfect if that was the only place Ida was getting this elixir. The fact that it's just a daytime, generalized, available to anyone thing makes me wonder why she just didn't start brewing this thing herself. I mean, she's all about freedom. Must take ingredients she can't be bothered to get. I mean, it's only five snails. Yeah, it's an inexpensive, publicly accessible thing, and it's not like she's part of a coven that can't learn, you know, potion making, right? I don't know. 
Which is weird, because even after she loses all magic, she can still brew potions. So what is the point of the potions, Kevin, again? Someone explain. (laughs) Right, it would seem really handy for her to learn this skill. Why would I join the one coven that literally everyone can use? Well, I mean, unless somehow you really can't. Like, we don't know. Maybe the shopkeeper's also a witch, and, you know, or the people, you know, stalking him are witches. Maybe you have to be a witch to, like, make the magic brew. I don't know. Lilith does okay. But I guess at least Ida's proven to be lazy, or at least not to be always a logical thinker. So, sure. (laughs) Uh, Yep, so Ida is saved by a house ex machina, and (laughs) uh, King, very good, very good throwing arm on King. This is one of those shows where people make really, really... Unlikely throws all the time. <laughs> and it sticks out. They're like, <laughs> well, we got away with it once, so it's another ten times. <laughs> it's like I, I, the two two I'm remembering are when King is throwing the the elixir into Ida's mouth, but also I remember uh, Lou's kicking the sword into what Adagast was his name. What was the YouTube channel where they only had successful? Uh, you know, cuts of crazy throws and crazy oh, catches. Oh, yes. It's like somebody was too obsessed with that idea on the team. They're like, the thing that they're most impressed by is whenever someone makes a really sweet, you know, throw or something. <laughs> it's like, man, that makes a scene that much more interesting. <laughs> but it's true. It's yeah, great. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they, 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 it, I don't know. That, that was a really ridiculous throw. He could have, he could have, slid it across the ground to her and then she grabs it in her teeth and chugs it uh that would have been just fine <laughs> it would have looked really cool too but yeah you know i'm just saying i'm just saying ah yeah you know it, it was it was fine it that one didn't stand out that much to me at least so one out of yeah, two enough, succeeded for one out of two in the audience great great right all right should we should we leave it there no, it's terrible. Here's what I have to say, Luz. Uh you weren't you you weren't even helping out your friends until your own species was insulted, and honestly, I get it, you know. <laughs> so thanks for sticking up for humans, you know, on Pentagram, which I still hate. Hashtag humans don't have to bite it. Oh my god. Hashtag end this. <laughs> okay. David has made a request. That's it for us on Hootie's Moving <laughs> Hassle. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. Oh, and I'm David. Hashtag leave us a review anywhere you le- listen to podcasts. Uh, I don't actually know at what point this hashtag has ended. Perhaps even this text is still part of the hashtag. So uh, please feel free to mention that in your review. This hashtag is now over. The end. End of hashtag. <laughs> Later, everybody. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we shouldn't record at 11 at night. <laughs> Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. 